Rachel Needle from Talking With Tech. And I'm Chris Bouguet from Talking With Tech. We have a podcast dedicated to augmentative and alternative communication, all things related to helping kids with complex communication needs. If you have a passion for helping people with language disabilities, this is the show for you. Each episode features an interview or a roundtable discussion on a topic related to augmentative communication and helping people with language disabilities. And we're really passionate about giving practical strategies to clinicians working in the field who are working with children or adults, anything related to AAC. So you can look us up on iTunes or you can find us on Facebook. We've got a group over there or check out our website at bit.ly slash TWT podcast. Please join our community of professionals that are working to ensure that everyone can say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas, thoughts, or needs. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families without it being lost. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science Episode 81, proud member of the Exceptional Podcast Network. I'm your host, Matt Hot, joined by my other hosts, all the way out in Philadelphia, Michael McLeod. What's up, buddy? Michael, how is Philadelphia tonight? Philadelphia is great. I just uh, just got back from a long trip. Uh, I went to a, a great friend's wedding out in Lake Tahoe. Uh, so I just got home uh, at midnight last night. But uh, but Philadelphia is great. It's uh, it's doing well. Lake Tahoe is a beautiful place. Lake Tahoe is unbelievable. I want to go. I want to move out there. And that voice belongs to our Kentucky resident, Michelle Wintering. Michelle, how are you? Doing great. How are you, Matt? I am good. I am still so jealous of your hippotherapy, the training with horses uh, that you were able to do a couple weeks ago. That that was pretty cool. I'm hoping I get a chance to utilize it sometime in the near future. Your horseback therapy sessions, I think, would be legit. Yeah. Hey, there we go. Oh, uh, guys, it's been a wonderful time this past week. Uh, I quit my old job and took a new job at a new school district, which changes my entire plans for the next five years. So I'm riding this weird nostalgia wave of leaving one school district and going to another school district. Well, congrats. That sounds like a lot of work. Uh, so I'm going from 67 students to 34. Okay. What All ages right. will you be working with? Uh, I'll be seventh and eighth grade, I believe. It's a fun year. I know, right? So it's close to my high school age, so it's still in my wheelhouse of, of specialties. I don't have to play with uh, farm equipment, like barnyard animals and, and the little people. So I'm okay with that. You're going to be doing a lot of wrestling and Fortnite talk. Yes! <laughs> I love that stuff. Have fun. I've never played Fortnite, but I might do it just for research. Don't do it, dude. Don't do it. Ah, uh, Michael, what's been going on with you this past week for therapy? Uh, so I just came back today. Today was my first day back from from a little break. Um, just preparing for a bunch of evals coming up, doing a lot of uh, evals tend to come this time of year uh, as the school year winds down. Uh, prepping for the summer schedule, doing a lot of uh, social groups 
and getting a lot of my uh, my older guys together uh, to do to do some pragmatic work together. But yeah, should be a should be a good summer. That's awesome, Michelle. How's your therapy work going? Uh, well, update for you is that I had orientation this week for a new job with outpatient pediatrics. So I will be Ooh. playing with more barnyard animals and little people. <laughs> but that's in your wheelhouse though, right? Oh yeah. I love peds. I, I give credit to you guys, the, you people that want to do peds. I, I do not have the patience for it. Is that because you have two at home? I don't know. I, I just had to ground them tonight for one kicking over a Lego tower and then the other one for tattletailing on him. But Did then the you one step that... on the Lego tower? Because then I feel for you. <laughs> no, but I had to explain to the other one what tattletailing meant because I was like, buddy, you are a tattletale. And then he started like hyperventilating and he's like, I don't want to be a tattletale. And I was like, oh, we are, we are at a level 10 why are we at a 10 and then he was like when he calmed down he's like what's a tattletale and i was like well can't ground you for that i guess at this point so wow you daily oh, well. lessons in the life of parenthood you uh, run it you run it you run a tight ship over there dude don't have kids that is the <laughs> that is the lesson of this on today's episode we will not be a tattletale but we have dr robertson asha president on today's show guys Woo! Awesome. Or not. I thought there would be much more fanfare. I'm excited by that. Uh, also, we'll be talking something out of Baltimore. It's a Baltimore club for adults with disabilities. Uh, we will talk a little bit about the importance of reading aloud to middle school students. Uh, but first, I thought we'd start with this article that I believe, Michael, you sent over. This is coming out of the uh, NPR.org. Uh, it's behind the shortage of special ed teachers, the long hours, the crushing paperwork. I'm going to add in low pay. It's a national shortage of special ed teachers. I'm not exactly surprised by any of this. 49 states report that 12 point or 49 states report a shortage. 12.3% of special ed teachers leave the profession, nearly double the rate of general education teachers. Yeah, I instantly, as soon as I found this, I posted it to my private practice Facebook page and which a lot of other SLPs and special educators follow. And it instantly got shared by everyone, liked. Uh, they, they put that little heart thing, the smiley face thing. <laughs> the but love. The love. There you go. But yeah, it, it, it absolutely resonates. And I know so many people that have left this field and go and accept even less money somewhere else due to the burnout and due to the paperwork. And it's terrible. And you see it pretty much all over the medical field. Uh, you know, we, we talk about this all the time. You, you go to the doctor nowadays and half the time he's on the computer, not even looking at you, he or she, the doctor, uh, really, you know, everything is documentation and notes and everything nowadays. It's, it's terrible. And for people that are working with special ed kids that need their attention and need their care, for them to be doing so much paperwork constantly, something has to change. And uh, I, I'm sure it wasn't this way. You know, I'm still relatively young in the field, in the career. But I'm sure it was not this way forever, and change definitely needs to happen so there's better work-life balance. And I think where they said it's, what, about double of mm -hmm. regular education teachers, and there's already a huge turnover of regular education teachers after, what do they say? I, I know I've read five the, years in the yeah first four to five years mm -hmm. of teaching. 51% of all school districts and 90% of high-poverty schools report having difficulty 
recruiting highly qualified special education teachers. Uh, I know that I've contemplated leaving even in the speech therapy realm a couple of times. Uh, and, and I don't want to say it comes down to money, but I could walk into a SNF or a hospital and make twice the salary that I made uh, a couple years ago in the school district. And that's very tempting for a, a 28, 29 year old therapist or, or special education teacher. And what, what, what makes matters worse is so many of these schools are contacting these uh, contracting agencies where uh, school employees now are pretty much becoming just straight contractors, not getting any benefits, not getting any, mm-hmm. you know, just basically uh, if school's out, if there's a snow day, summer, don't get paid. Uh, and it's, you know, schools are saving money doing these things. But once again, it's hurting SLPs. And well, schools have one of the few, you know, education systems in various states have some of the few remaining pensions mm-hmm. and locked in retirement plans. So there are people who want to stick with it for that, but start looking at other options, like you said, Matt, because of salaries. Well, how about this for terrifying? I was talking to a teacher at my school district or my old school district, and he said that he has been teaching for 30 years, but he's got to work another 10 uh, because uh, the state he worked in, I think it was Kentucky, uh, when they filed bankruptcy, they destroyed everyone's pension. No one had their pension that left over. Yeah, that's that's absolutely terrible. That's that is beyond terrifying. So he has to work ten more years just to get his retirement up to a a normal state. And that reminded me that I needed to go and get my four hundred three b set up. So in case that happens, I'm not totally in the poorhouse. That's so scary. Yeah, but we talk about caseloads. We talk about paperwork. I did the math this year uh, between. Uh, progress reports, report cards, IEPs, ETRs. Uh, I did 3,000, what was it? 3,121 pieces of paperwork this year. Wow. You know, I'm not even surprised. You said that number and having worked <laughs> in the schools, it doesn't even phase me. So, I mean, everyone says, what can we do? And everyone says, Asha needs to step in and, and help. And I hate to say it. And I've said it multiple times on different Facebook groups. Asha's not a legal body. They can't come in and tell the school district what to pay uh, SLPs or, or special ed teachers. This is where we have to, to get the ground troops together and go to the union and fight for more rights. There's been a lot of very successful teacher strikes recently mm-hmm. uh, all across the country. Um, and it's, it's, it's just one of those things, you know, the school, school comes around in late August, early September, and they expect you to be there. But if, it, if, if, the, if you unionize and fight for your salary and fight for your rights, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, everyone needs someone to blame. And oftentimes ASHA is that person to blame. We, we pay those dues. We do the CEUs, we do all the pain in the neck stuff, all the credentials and everything. But in terms of salaries and caseload numbers and benefits and those sorts of things, that's that's on us. And uh, West Virginia is trying to pass a law right now to ban teacher strikes, just so you know. Goodness so do, do either of you or if anyone listening have any research or info on, I'd be very curious about the turnover of SLPs in schools. Because I, I haven't seen data on that. I do not have any data on that. 
Hmm. Uh, I'm looking at Asha real quick, and I'm downloading a PowerPoint from Dr. Johnny O'Connor. That seems to me like data that Asha would not proudly put out there. Mm -mm. Trying to see. It says there's 11% uh, deficit each year in the field. But that could be from retirement or, or anything. I don't know. That is a good question. Would love to. Oh, turnover intent. Uh, 0.892. So I don't know what that is in this study. I'll, I'll link it and then we'll find more for next week. I don't I don't know what the turnover data is uh, for SLPs. And if you're an SLP, uh, so much of what we do is affected by politics. So you have mm -hmm. to you have to get out there and vote. I think the uh, even just for instance the the ASHA election that we recently talked about. I think there was a I think four percent of SLPs voted. I think four and a half percent last year. There was percent. just under four and a half percent, and this year was just four and a half percent people voting. And now that you brought that up, we will recognize that uh, Dr. Lynn Williams won for president-elect. Uh, Julie A. Honecker won for vice president of academic affairs and audiology. Uh, Craig Coleman won for vice president of planning. And Sharon Moss won for vice president for standards and ethics and speech language pathology. Two of the people that we interviewed out of the five won their positions, guys. Congrats and they, to and they them. all they all mentioned us in their acceptance speeches. I wish so, they did. <laughs> no, they did. They did. And the Speech Science Podcast, hashtag SSPod. That's right. That's but right. But hey, you know what? If you're at home and you want to weigh in on either the ASHA elections, the 4%, or on uh, burnout or, or lack thereof uh, in school districts, please head us up. Head over to our website, Speech Science Podcast. And from there, you can find us and all the XPN networks. Also, make sure you give us a phone call or text 614-681-1798 or email us speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. And if they're social media users, hashtag SSPod. And, and on Instagram, speech <laughs> underscore science. I always forget Instagram. I'm terrible. But you could email us like Katie Matthews did. Uh, she is an SLP out of Boston working for a private practice and mostly pediatric population. And she wants to weigh in a little bit on our conversation from a couple weeks ago about person first versus identity first language. Do you guys remember that conversation? Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. Uh, so she says that she writes for a website called stairway to stem.org. We'll put a link down in our show notes. Uh, and she works uh, her editor has autism as a person with autism, and they talk about first-person language or, or identity first. And I'm cruising around their website, and where did it go? Here it is. Uh, it talks a lot about when to use which language. Pretty cool. Thanks for the uh, heads up, uh, Katie. We do appreciate that. Awesome. I'm going to save that link. Yes, it is uh, stairwaytostem.org. So we will put that in our show notes. Our second article for tonight is our research article, Reading Aloud to Middle School Students. Guess what? It helps them. Any surprise there? I always like just getting right to the chase. Is there any surprise Reading Aloud helps? Absolutely Well, I not. love that we're talking about older kids as well because we talk so much about how important it is to read to young, young children, but that the Reading Aloud, that this article points out, Reading Aloud shouldn't just stop because the kid starts kindergarten or first grade or wherever it is that they're reading by themselves or able to read by themselves. 
and now mind you, this is an introductory study. So the, the numbers are small. So Michael, I didn't mean to, to cut you off there. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I work with a lot of these middle school age students. And really what you see is uh, so much of with the rise of technology, books are kind of falling, falling by the wayside. And when it comes to reading, uh, picking up a book and turning open to a page filled with words to read, uh, for these teens that don't have a lot of experience with it, it's a really anxiety-producing task. It's just so incredibly non-preferred to have to pick up a book and read a book and visualize it. And you know, the thought of reading two pages and then stopping and saying, oh, what did I just read? What was that? It's just, it's such a non-preferred task and it increases behaviors and it increases anxiety. And this, uh, and this task of reading aloud shows that it make, it helps to make it to decrease that anxiety. Uh, the article is originally, or the, the research comes from the Contemporary Issues in Educational Research uh, by Jennifer Cohart, uh, Marshalt from Grand Canyon University and Karen H. Larwin from Youngstown up here in Ohio. Uh, they do talk about a couple positives and negatives to read aloud. Uh, the positives is that it's a model, a positive model for reading behaviors that bridges and the scaffolding between text and reading a real life. Uh, they can also support student responses. Some of the negatives can be seen as being too teacher directed or lacking the release of responsibility to the students to take ownership over the learning. It's a simple idea, though, that the author stated in the first couple paragraphs there of that she, for five minutes of each class period, she reads aloud to her middle, middle school students. And if you think about it, you can find five minutes in a lot of class periods, right? Like five minutes that you can focus on reading aloud to those students. And my thought is it might spark them to want to continue reading because you're only going to read a little segment of that book. So they might want to know what happens next or um, follow along with you. It's going to give them a little bit more motivation. Do you guys read aloud with your, your therapy students? Um, if, if one of my students comes to a session with some reading they have to do, it would be a rare occasion that, that we would do something like that. But, okay. I, but, but yeah, I would, you know, especially after listening to this wonderful podcast and hearing about it, I might, <laughs> I might, I might give it a shot. Well, and I definitely do it with the younger kids, but this makes me think I shouldn't eliminate that with the older students as well. That's fair. Yeah, we, um, we, we, we always associate this uh, reading to younger kids, but I'm an adult. I would love it if someone read to me. You know, why, why we have the children's books we read aloud to kids, but this is really something that's beneficial to people of all ages, really. I know that what I end up doing... Uh, if I've got a reading comp group, what I'll do is we all take turns and read a paragraph or two out loud. And I make sure that I'm part of that reading group. So, you know, the student next to me will read and then I'll read and then they'll read. Uh, and I just want them to understand that sometimes and it sounds as goofy as it is. Sometimes I stumble over words and I don't want them to to feel goofy when they stumble over a word. But I also like it because there is some give and take. I think that's a great model, though, Matt, is showing them that you're not a perfect reader or a public speaker as well. <laughs> yes, that is a very good point, because so many of these teens try to be absolute perfectionists with their reading and uh, learning that it's OK to stumble over a word or not recognize a word or have to reread a sentence two or three times. 
you know, reading is not an, it's not a, a perfect art. You have to, you, you get better at it the more you do it. So it, it's like, it's like being able to, to, to run a couple of miles at once. You got to start slow you got to walk and you got to build up to it. True. Well, we want to hear from you. What are you doing uh, in your therapy settings? Are you reading aloud? Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com and email us speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com or give us a phone call or text 614-681-1798. Social media users, what do they do? Hashtag SSPod. And let us know too, this just came to mind for me, if you use read aloud with adults or with oh, adults. good. I'm thinking as people age, that might be something that could be beneficial. This is just a idea. I like that. Coming up after the break, ASHA president, Dr. Robertson, stopped by to talk about what's happening in ASHA. Also, her idea for more imagination in therapy and why we should be attending not only the National Convention in November, but the ASHA Connect. You're listening to Speech Science. Do you have an idea for a product or book? Or are you ready to go beyond in-service presentations? Well, how do you get started? And what if you don't have any business experience at all? Well, I have some great news for you. I'm Mailing Chan, and I'm getting the nitty-gritty stories from parents, teachers, therapists, advocates, and people with disabilities who have created successful businesses, and they're sharing their intimate stories with you. Listen to us on the Exceptional Leaders Podcast and fast-track creating and building and sharing your idea with the world so that you can help more people. Welcome back to Speech Science. I'm Matt Hutt, joined by ASHA President Dr. Shari Robertson. Dr. Robertson, how are you doing today? I'm just fine, thank you. Delighted to be here. And I'm going to call you Dr. Robertson just because of the position, and I feel like I have to do that. So I apologize ahead of time. <laughs> I'm I'm quite comfortable with Shari or Dr. Robertson. Either one is fine. Whereas my students always call me Dr. R. Ah, so you okay. may choose. <laughs> So let's get started a little bit about you because we've never had you on air before. How did you get, how, what made you want to run for president a couple years ago? And how has that been being the president of ASHA? That's a, that's a really good question. It's kind of like every other leadership position that I've been in. And I've had a number as I've gone through the years where it, it just kind of wraps itself around you. So uh, several years ago, I had someone mention that they thought I should run for the board of directors. And at that point, I was uh, elected vice president for academic affairs and speech language pathology. And I just found that board service to be so rewarding. A lot of work, but so rewarding to know that we are working on behalf of our colleagues and the professions. And by virtue of that, um, our, the clients, the students, the patients that we work with. So I did three years um, as, on the board and I planned to be finished. I thought that was great, service was wonderful. Um, never really had being president of ASHA on my radar uh, until uh, I had a call from the Committee on Nominations and Elections and they said, you know, we, we've had so many people say, we really like you to encourage Shari to run. And, so I got that phone call, and that was really my first 
thought about that. And um, after some discussions with my family, knowing how much time that would take and knowing that the, <laughs> the odds of winning were astronomical, um, <laughs> I said I would be happy to be considered to be put on the ballot. And that's kind of the way it happened. So I, my daughter actually said, when I ended up in the ballot, she said, do you actually want me to vote for you? Or, <laughs> But by that time, I said, no, I'm, I'm committed now. So uh, it was like, like, as many other things, people get involved when you ask them to get involved. And that invitation is something that I take very seriously when I'm trying to uh, nurture other leaders. And sometimes it just takes someone saying, we think you'd be good at this. Uh, ASHA elections are, are wrapping up if, if they're not wrapped up today. What was that like when you got that phone call? And when did you find out that you were elected president? Uh, what was that, two years ago? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that was very interesting. Um, I was actually on an island in the Bahamas with no <laughs> phone service. So I was, this was pretty interesting. My friend Gail Richard was the president at that time. And um so she was making those phone calls. And you're right, it was almost this time of year because on Thursday, I, uh, I will be making those very same phone calls. But I, my phone buzzed and I was out in the middle of the ocean on a kayak. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we had to drive for miles to try to find some signal because we couldn't get the signal. So I just about, you know, it was probably a good thing I wasn't in the kayak because I probably would have fallen overboard and, you know, been turtle fodder. But I <laughs> sat in a parking lot on one of the out islands in the Bahamas with my chin on my chest. Just And my husband was actually not with me. So I called him and told him and he thought I was kidding. He really didn't think I was serious. <laughs> then he began to realize what that was going to mean to him. So. Um, so it was very exciting. Yes, it was. I was going to say, that's one way to, to handle the elections. If you win, you're celebrating in the Bahamas. And if you lose, right. you're still you in lose, the Bahamas. You're celebrating. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> so now that you're looking, so you'll be transitioning from current president to past president. What will be some of your goals as past president? Well, I'm really not even halfway through my, my presidential year yet. So that ends in December, uh, December 31st. So, um, uh, uh, so to be honest, I've still got a lot of goals we're working on for this year. So I'm lots of exciting. I apologize. Islands in the fire. Yeah. Well, even though the, the elections are over, those people, uh, the elects won't take office until January 1st. So that gives them time to join us in the fall at a, at a meeting to be on board. And there's a lot of orientation that takes place. So, so I am very much involved still as in what I'm doing as, as president right now. Um, so as president-elect, my job is basically to be there to help support the president, the current president's uh, initiative, and just to provide guidance in terms of the things that that may work or may not work, <laughs> but I, but past presidents also work very hard on nominations and elections and helping make sure that we are continuing to have a good, um, robust um, pool to choose from. Uh, the, the past president also manages the cultivation of leadership for young leaders besides this nominations and elections. 
and also does a lot of outreach as well. Um, so there are some things that will be happening, but I will tell you right now, my brain isn't quite there yet because I have so many things going on yet this year. <laughs> so let's talk about the, the elections. It seems to, this year seems more than any other year, the elections seem to be big on Facebook. Have you guys noticed a, a larger turnout or more social media interactions about the election? Well, I've certainly been aware of more social media interactions. There's been, you know, and I, and I, I do not typically comment on many of those, but I do uh, follow a lot of that. And that's actually something we are looking at as how we need to perhaps begin to, to think about how to frame that. But yes, this year, and we're delighted in many ways that we've got members asking questions and things are happening so that people are perhaps more aware of, of our candidates. And that's a really good thing. In terms of the turnout, I actually won't know that for a couple of days yet. Okay. So um, we, I don't have that data. I, I do not know where we are, where the elections stand right now. So let's look ahead towards what we're wrapping up now. We're wrapping up Better Speech and Hearing Month. Uh, this is the month where we all in the schools and in home health care and, and, and nursing facilities get to post things on our boards and talk all about it. How do we carry what we're doing here in Better Speech and Hearing Month, uh, you know, into June or August or September? Yeah, I love that particular question because, first of all, I don't know if you know my background, so I did spend 20 plus years in the schools. Um, so I'm, and I'm still very connected with the schools. That's, that's, um, uh, my mom was a school-based SLP as well, and my my daughter's an audiologist. Oh. So we do have quite a few connections in that. But um, one of the things that we did this year, and, and I, I like the fact that you said, yeah, we're getting information in our boxes, our inboxes. Um, there was a, a survey this year where they surveyed parents directly and tried to get an idea of what parents knew about communication uh, the early signs of communication disorders, what they needed to do. There's, so there's quite a bit of information that's available to ASHA members to share with parents and to help. And we did um, um, a media tour on May 1st. Uh, we did interview after interview after interview in, in trying to help spread this uh, information as an, an association. But as an individual member, I think one of the things I talk a lot about um, as I do outreach at state associations, or I've done a number of international talks. I talk with leaders. Leaders is my my vision this year, and my theme for the year is about imagination and how imagination drives innovation, and how as speech language pathologists and audiologists who who drive innovation, I call it imaginologists. How we can make communication accessible and achievable for all. That's Ash's vision, that human, uh, the communication is a human right, and that we need to make it accessible and achievable for all. And we do that by doing what we do best, which is talking about it, which is sharing the information. Asha has so many resources that you can use to send home with parents, to put on your own social media pages, to write articles in your own local newspapers. Usually local newspapers are dying for copy and for information like that. But for me, it's about being an advocate for communication, no matter where I am, who I'm talking to, or what month of the year it is, <laughs> that we 
we can imagine more. We can imagine making communication accessible and capable for all. And the only way we can truly do that is if we really believe that and we put our heart and soul into it. And that may sound a lot like, you know, oh, yeah, Pollyanna, for people who are old enough to know who Pollyanna is. <laughs> but I truly am a Pollyanna that when I go out and I give this message, I see people get fired up and excited about hey, what we do is really important. And if we don't believe that, nobody else is going to believe it. So, so that's my spiel on what we can do to keep it going. And we have to keep it going in us first. We have to stay excited about it. And then we can share it with others and tap into the information that Ashley has. They're sending out things. There's social media where you can get in and earn points to, you know, get your badges. But you can all, by sharing information, um, there's, there's, that, whole, that survey has got a lot of really interesting stuff that we can push out as well. So use the resources you have, but tap into your inner imaginologist and show what we can do. I love that. And I and when you were talking about that, it sounded really familiar. And I had to Google the imaginologist and I put Asha and I was like, oh, yeah, I read your article. Uh, was that last <laughs> month or two months ago? In the that Asha? was in January. Oh, was it January? We actually read those. <laughs> That's how I get but, all my you know, content for the show. <laughs> our, our convention theme this year is Imagine More at, for our Ash convention in, in November. And so, we, you know, I've been trying to talk to people about, you know, how do we imagine more for our clients and our patients? And, and you know, imagination is the only way anything ever happens. So let's imagine. And, and it, it seems to be resonating. I've been getting a lot of people saying, you know, like, I just needed somebody to say that, to say we can do that. And because, you know, there's so many times that things divide us because we work in different settings, but we really have more in common. And if we can look at the positive side, side of things, that's where we start. I, I love that because I work in the schools and I do home health care as well. And when I talk to my coworkers and we're always talking about being imaginative in our therapy activities and just taking that whole idea from just the therapy setting into our professional uh, interactions with our coworkers, I, I never even thought of that. And I still love that idea. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I love that it sparked a little something. Before we talk about the convention, what are some of the things that you would like to see accomplished or pushed through for ASHA during these next couple of months? I know we've got the Schools Connect uh, in June, but what would you like to see ASHA do over the next couple of months before we talk about those conventions? Great. Um, and Schools Connect or the ASHA Connect is actually in the middle of July. July, I'm sorry. We have it on our calendars. Um, it's actually in the middle of July. So maybe people may or may not know that um, – the ASHA Board of Directors is guided by a strategic plan so that we have a general, we have eight objectives that all of the things that we, all of our activities, all of our, our efforts and resources need to be guided by the strategic plan. And the reason that happens is because, as you mentioned, I'm on this presidential ride for one year. Someone else takes after a year. And the, every year, about a third of the board changes. And we can't have everyone coming in and just saying, all right, this is what I want to do. Because many of these projects are multi-year projects. Mm -hmm. You know, it, when you're making big changes or you're, you're trying to affect change, you have to have a plan that guides that. So we have a strategic plan that 
that guides us in the efforts that we do. And at our board meetings, every agenda item has to talk about, um, well, not every agenda item, but when they're big initiatives, they have to talk about what strategic goal those address. So within that, we can be innovative and we can think about what we want to do and change. But I think it's important that people know that there is a plan that is available for anyone to see. If you get on the national website and just look at strategic plan, um, that guides us, and that was developed with member input. So uh, every president has things that they are looking to accomplish. And for me, um, it's really about helping people connect more with uh, understanding. Uh, uh, let me back up just a minute. It's really important for me that our members know that they are part of ASHA. The, the board of directors are just 16 ASHA members that are volunteers who are trying to do the best job that they can do for the association. So it's really important that we hear from members. So I, I travel a lot telling people, you know, we want to hear from you, we want your input. So having said all of that, there are a number of initiatives that we are working on right now. One is many people might have heard about the governance review uh, that we're working on right now, which um, Gail Richard, when Gail Richard was president, she realized that we needed to make some changes to, or perhaps changes to how governance, ASHA governance was run. And so an ad hoc committee was appointed and their charge was just look at it, see where we are. It's been about 10 years and we need to make some changes. Um, and we are in the middle of that right now, and there are um, four recommendations from that committee that are pretty substantial recommendations. Uh, and that is something we're putting a lot of energy into and trying to listen to members as we make decisions about whether we should go forward and make some of these rather large changes. But there's a lot of other things going on, too. We have uh, an initiative on a multi-state compact for licensing which impacts a lot on people who might be doing telepractice or live close to a state line so that you, you know, but now if you're in telepractice, you have to have a license in the state you reside in and in any of the states, you know, where you serve. So there's a, an initiative going forward on multi-state uh, licensing. There's an issue going forward on um, looking at uh, assistance and how we need to, um, uh, whether we need to do some, um, Accrediting, accreditation of them, not not in the same way that a national member would have, but uh, so that they would have some sort of a credential. Um, there's things that are going on related to, um, uh, I just lost my train of thought, and it was the best one that I wanted to remember. Um, credentialing, oh, uh, as we move, move forward and we're thinking about how we can uh, do some outreach internationally, so we have some we are working uh, with um, WHO, the World Health Organization, and uh, ASHA members are going to countries that are underserved or do not have any um, speech language pathologists as a profession or audiologists, and we're providing expertise and support uh, to do that. There are so many wonderful initiatives going on. Oh, Value of the Seas campaign. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things our members told us is people don't know what the fees are. So there is a, it's a value, uh, ashacertified.org, the value of the fees campaign. 
that provides all sorts of information, stuff you can put in your social media. And the other one I, one I want to mention is the um, identifythesigns.org, which is another great initiative that we're moving forward. So that's a few of the things that we're working on. Um, <laughs> and that's what I don't think people realize is we listen to what members say they want, and we, we try to work on each one of those. Um, so hopefully that gives you a general idea of some of the things that are happening. I didn't realize identifythesigns.org was an ASHA uh, initiative. And as I pull up the website, now that I'm looking for it, it says ASHA right next to the, to the browser. Yep. And oh. that was um, something that Patty Prelock started when she was president. Well, that would have been about eight years ago. So, and that's a really rich website with a lot. There's public service announcements. A lot of really interesting stuff going on in there. And of course, the other thing people probably don't realize is the advocacy piece and how much time we spend on Capitol Hill trying to make sure, and at this, uh, with various uh, things at state level, trying to make sure that legislation that's moving through is not harmful to our profession. Mm -hmm. And I know you're you're very generous with your time, so I want to talk a little bit about both the Schools Connect and the ASHA conference in November. I've never been to the Schools Connect. It's in Chicago, Illinois this year, July 19th through the 21st. What, or it's the Schools Connect, Healthcare Connect, and Private Practice Connect. What right. is that like? And for a therapist like myself who's never been, is that something to go to, or should I wait for ASHA or go to both? What would be your suggestion? <laughs> well, I love, now you're right, it used to be called ASHA Schools, and then we also had a healthcare conference, and we have a private practice conference. They were three separate conferences, and I've actually been to all three of those when they were separate because I actually I'm, have several businesses on the side, so I do a lot of stuff related to entrepreneurship. Um, I've spoken at the health conference on things related to uh, time and stress management, and then, of course, I spent many years in the school. But recently, and I think in about the last, it's been about five years when they decided to co-locate these because um, it was, it was in many ways, it was cheaper to put them all in one place at the same time. Makes and sense. that's evolved over the years. So now at the Connect conferences, um, now you can actually, even if you register for the schools conference, you can get CEUs at the healthcare and private practice because sometimes they have some very interesting stuff. So you register for one, but you can go to the others. Now, why should I go? That's the important piece. I love the Connect Conference. It's more intimate, and it is focused on, so you're in the schools. They vet, the speakers are all invited, and the, the presentations are vetted very carefully so that these are top-level speakers who can provide real hands-on, this is what you can do when you're back in your classroom on Monday, or if you are you know, in healthcare or private practice. These are people who know what they're talking about, and they can give you functional hands-on. Plus, it, because of it's smaller, it's much more intimate, and it's actually a lot of fun. This year, the foundation event, the Ash Foundation, which is also near and dear to my heart, is a cruise down the Chicago River, which is pretty, oh, wow. pretty cool. But there's lots more networking that goes on at the Connect conferences because they're so much smaller and they're so much more focused. But there's still a great ex exhibit hall with lots of great exhibitors. There's, but the sessions 
for me, I think people go, first of all, because they love the smaller size, but the sessions are so high quality. So you, you go to the connect if you want to find focused things. Of course, the conference, you know, the convention is a whole other level. Um, <laughs> I was and, say, and when you're ready to tell me, ask about that, I'll, I will go on to my next deal about the convention. I was going to say, that's like, right where we're going to go. I'll be, I'll be <laughs> at ASHA. I'll be attending the ASHA SEALs event and then trying to fill my brain with everything what are you and then also maybe i might hit disney when we're done but what are you looking forward to at the november conference we're trying to get our, our closing party uh at so we're working on that we're, we don't have that for sure yet but i know ellen shortle who is our amazing convention coordinator is working hard on some really exciting things um that we'll be doing while we're there so um, having said that, I need to go back to your original question. What am I Because I got so excited when you talked about I'm excited by that. Are we again what your question was? First, I got to ask, am, am I allowed to air that? <laughs> oh, that we're going to try to have. Well, all I can say is we're working on it. You okay. absolutely can. We're working on it. I can't guarantee it. Okay. But we're working hard on trying to get our closing party there. I we can talk about it. We just don't know for sure yet maybe you shouldn't i don't know <laughs> so what are you, i'll we'll bleep it out and then everyone will be confused so what are you looking forward to at the november conference so for me um i get such a rush when i go to a convention uh, for me it's kind of old home week where you get to meet all your colleagues that are spread across the country so i get such a i get so much energy from that now as president i'm told that i'm scheduled so tightly that they even put on my schedule like when i can go to the bathroom so it's going to be a little different conference for me this year but what i'm looking forward to is i will get a chance to talk to all these different constituency groups that are there from tuesday through sunday um, i get a chance to connect with all of the different groups that are there and that's that's really exciting for me. Um, I, but I also know that some of the, we have some really wonderful initiatives going on. We're going to have an imaginal, imaginarium where people can go and get, uh, actually work together and try to, try to create new projects um, right in our imaginarium. And we'll also have fun activities to do just because sometimes we just need to go and blow off some steam. But we're also going to have a, um, I can't remember what we're going to call it. We're going to also have a, an area for people who, who like to imagine quietly by themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so the extroverts will have the imaginarium and the introverts, I can't remember quite what we were going to call it, but the introverts will have their area too. So we're going to try to carry this theme. And I am really excited about the opening, having a chance to do the uh, talk at the opening session because I've got a few surprises up my sleeve that we'll be working on the next, uh, actually I'm going to be working on uh, this week at the, when I'm at the board meeting, as we start to see if we can make those things really happen. Um, we've got a great opening speaker. Um, we're working on who's our Annie Award winner, and fingers crossed on the person we're hoping it's going to be. So there are some pri surprise surprises in store, but as usual, we're going to have great speakers, lots of variety, um, our topic chairs are, are so, they are so innovative. And so they've got 
not our, our I mean our co-chairs, our, our convention co-chairs, uh, are so innovative. Jessica Sullivan and Lori Sterling, they, I can't keep up with them because there's going to be so many fun things that are going on. So I'm excited about convention. Perhaps you noticed that. <laughs> and for me, it's just the largest gathering of Americanologists in the world. And who wouldn't want to be part of that? Now the the Annie Glenn Award, I always love love that because I actually went to a small school here in Ohio uh, called Muskingum, and that's actually where Annie and John Glenn are from. So oh, the Annie wow. Glenn Award is always super personal to me, and I just love hearing who's done it and and winning it. And uh, I almost met Annie Glenn one time, uh, and I was an undergrad in in college and was too nervous to go talk to her. So. Oh, those things happen when we think, why did I hold back? Yes, and every year we look for someone who is not in the profession who first exemplifies either what we do um, or has a foundation or somehow has been affected by what we do as speech-language pathologists and audiologists. And um, it's, you know, sometimes it can be a challenge to find just the right person, but we know that more people are affected than you know, most people realize someone in their family most likely has been affected by speech language swallowing or hearing disorder. And so we're, we're always on the lookout. So we've got a, an idea. We've got a lead. We're hoping it will pan out. And if it does, it's going to be pretty amazing. That's awesome. Um, but that is a very exciting. And I've had a chance to meet Annie and John Glenn um, backstage when, when I was on the board before. Um, before we lost John, mm-hmm. um, when they would come for to give these awards. And now we're at the point where Annie is really past the point where she can travel, but she always sends us a lovely letter that Aww. we share, you know, when we give the awards. So uh, it's still, a, it's a very touching thing. I actually won a few years ago. I was at an Ohio, in Ohio and I was, I won the Annie, Glor- Annie Glenn Leadership Award, which was very meaningful for me. And hangs on my wall and that's presented by a group in ohio so that was that, very exciting is that the osla group yeah yeah the wing and wing seacourt had a leadership she has a leadership initiative and i was very honored to to be able to hang that up on my wall yeah i, I my wife always gives me a hard time she's like you should have just gone up and sa- said hi to annie i said hi to her and i was like <laughs> They're much more outgoing than I am. Yeah. You, you have been so awesome with your time. What are some things, like, as we wrap up here that we didn't get to touch on that you kind of wanted to, to let people know about or what can they find online that you want to push them towards or, or anything like that? Well, I've done quite a bit of that already. <laughs> I'm giving you some. But I think one of the things I tell people a lot is um, there is a lot of information on the ASHA website. So a lot of times people will say to me things like, you know, where do I find? And they say, you know, your first step should be ASHA.org. The practice portal, which is a a, a whole array of vetted uh, information in terms of assessment and treatment. There's evidence maps. If you don't know, you've got a challenging client or a patient or a student, that's your first step. And it's free. It's there. It's one of the the perks that you have um, as an ASHA member. Um, there's information on advocacy. That's one of the things that I was not nearly as comfortable with when you talk about going up to people. 
is how important it is for us to step up and speak out because I was always, you know, I'm from the Midwest too. I was raised with, you know, just let your work speak for yourself. Well, what I've learned is that, and you've probably heard this before, but I still share it, that if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Mm-hmm. If you're not there speaking up, we're going to get eaten alive by other groups who speak louder. And I just did a congressional briefing a few weeks ago on Capitol Hill, which was quite an experience. And uh, David McKinley is a, a representative from West Virginia who has a cochlear implant on one side, hearing aid on the other. And he is a lion for us in terms of um, advocating. But he said to us, where are you? You're supposed to be communication specialists, and we need to hear from you. So as speech language pathologists and audiologists, we need to do it with our local. We need to do it state. We need to write our senators sign up for the headlines, ASHA headlines, so that they can send you information that says, we need to hear your voice. If we want to get stuff done, we're the ones that have to do it, as, you know, that's what we do. So for me, it's about being proud of what we do, supporting each other, imagining all of the things that we can do when we put all of the imagination power together. By the way, there are now over 200,000 of us in, as ASHA members, most people don't realize how big that is for uh, an association. So use our imagination power. Um, and of course, come to convention. <laughs> come to convention and, and have, have, come to the big party and help us imagine more together. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. That was wonderful. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it very much. And um, best wishes as you, wishes as you go forward. Welcome back to Speech Science. I'm Matt Hot, joined as always my favorite cast and crew, Michelle Wintering. Hi, Matt. And Michael McLeod. What's up, buddy? And I hate to do that to everybody, but we know what's underneath that bleep. Unfortunately, everyone listening does not know what's underneath that bleep for the national convention. So that'll be something that we get to keep close to our chest until till Asha makes a, an announcement about that. Very exciting. I love that kind of stuff. Speech science exclusive. Right? But we can't play it for anybody. Anywho, our fun article tonight, our positive article coming tonight is out of the Baltimore Sun. And it's a Baltimore club for adults with disability, which fosters love, friendship, and inclusion. And first, before we even get into this, I love the idea of adult clubs. Not that kind of an adult club, but like, (laughs) (laughs) but spots for like, adults to get together to have like engagement cards drinks that is not what we normally do and we used to do it our our society used to do and we just don't do it anymore and i love hearing about it but this one is club uh i don't even know how to say this club 1111 where hundreds come to dance and make friends. Some want to find love, but all are drawn because of the sense of safety and no one is judging them. And they are all adults with different disabilities. I love this idea. I think it's great. And if you look through the pictures, it just brings me a lot of joy. And it also reminds me of, I know I've mentioned it before, but um, I spent several summers out in Colorado working for Adam's camp. And while I was working on the therapy side, this therapy adventure camp, they have a once you kind of graduate or if you don't need therapy any longer 
um, young adults all the way through adults can still attend camp and it truly is just an adventure camp and the last night is this whole dance and party and I think that that night is, seems like it's a taste of what Club 1111 might be of just inclusiveness and joy and celebrating being together. I just found a picture of a gentleman getting a temporary tattoo and it made me smile from ear to ear. I love this kind of stuff. I wonder if we could get something like this into different towns. That would be fun. Where is this one? Uh, Baltimore. Nice. Not too far. I was going to say, that doesn't seem too far from you, right? No, not at all. It's not far from you either. Uh, it's a long-awaited evening when the League for People with Disabilities uh, transforms into a glittering nightclub for adults with disabilities. I love it. I love this kind of stuff. So make sure you send us more of this stuff when you find it. Speech Science Podcast at gmail.com or phone call or text us 614-681-1798. Before we send this thing to bed, Michelle Wintering, what are you doing this week that is fun and or exciting? I'm headed to my 10-year college reunion this week. What? That You're yeah. not that old. I know, right? Ugh. I'm sorry. I'm actually thrilled about it. I'm looking forward are you really? to meeting up with people and uh, seeing some old friends. That's okay. Today I was talking to somebody who had a family member teach at the undergrad school I went to. And they're like, well, they just started about eight years ago. And I was like, oh, I might have known. Oh, no, I graduated there 11 years ago. What uh, happened? You just said that you're wow. older than me. I know. And the baby in the group, Michael, what are you doing this week that's fun and or exciting? Uh, I will be typing up evals. So I'm, I, I will be laying low after my uh, busy weekend in Tahoe. So, uh, so yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to lay low and I'm going to love it. Did you notice how he said Tahoe? Like it was just a normal thing. Like, oh, I just went to Tahoe. Up in Tahoe. That's right. Hey, well, I, just... I want some SLPs from Tahoe to hashtag SSPod and tell us about <laughs> yes. how great Lake Tahoe is. That would be I awesome. want, I want to hear from our Australian friends again, because I am a sucker for accents and I want to hear speech therapy in an Australian accent. Just I saying. like it. Oh, our opening music tonight was Please Listen Carefully by Jazar. It's licensed under an attribution and share alike license. Our bump music was the County Fair Rock, uh, copyright of John Deku. You can find his music at soundcloud.com slash dirtdogmusic. And our closing music is The Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod. It's licensed under a Creative Commons and attribution license. My exciting thing for this next week I am leaving Saturday to go to Disney World, which means next week's episode, I will be live, sort of, from Disney. So I'm excited for that part. Uh, but in the immortal words of Janice Wright, in the situation that we call life, we want to try to be oaks, which are strong and, and, and tough trees. But unfortunately, when the going gets tough, those trees will crack. Always be a willow. Adapt to your surroundings. They will bend and then return to form. For fellow willows, Michelle Wintering and Michael McLeod, I'm Matt Hot saying so long, everybody.
This has been an Exceptional Podcast Network production. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. For more original podcasts, please visit ExceptionalEd.com and rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.